we're running to a little bit of a church mouse in the PA system, so the guys were working yesterday, and I wasn't here yesterday, which meant they got work done, and then uh, usually the case. So if you hear a tweak or a buzz or something, it's, we, we, we're well aware of it. They're trying to get it up, get it down off the internet so the internet stays loud and get the, there's a thump in it somewhere and they'll figure it out. So, all right, you ready, Ricky? Okay, Romans chapter one, if you will. We're gonna actually move into two more verses this morning. Woohoo! <laughs> Verse three and four, yeah. So um, let's, uh, let's just start by reading, uh, we'll get the context here. We'll read the first uh, five verses and then uh, get, get into it here. Paul, a servant of Jesus Christ, called to be an apostle, separated under the gospel of God, which he had promised afore by his prophets in the Holy Scriptures, concerning his son Jesus Christ, which was made of the seed of David according to the flesh, and declared to be the Son of God with power, according to the spirit of, the ho of holiness, by the resurrection from the dead." by whom we have received grace and apostleship for obedience to faith among all nations for his name. Now, these verses 3, 4, and 5, we're, we're going to get 3 and 4 hopefully done this morning. They, we're going to go, again, we're going to go slow through this on purpose because this is some very fundamental issues and some very fundamental things to, to, our, to our edification process. Hang on a minute. I love the robot, and it does a wonderful job, and I know it makes poor video, but it's going out the door, because it's going to beep at me. It won't go anywhere. If it does, oh well. All right, verse 3 and 4 here this morning is where we're going to focus today, and again, we're going to go a rather little slower through this. That, but that's okay, we have time, we're not going anywhere. It's very important to get this. These verses, by the way, get used by people who have a bent uh, that say that Paul is actually writing to Jewish audience, not the Gentile audience, and they use these verses. And what happens when you begin to what other people believe, you have to know what they believe and have to really care what they believe to be able to argue against it. I don't usually do that because otherwise we spend an hour discussing what they believe rather than what's in the passage. So I'm going to teach you what's in the passage, okay? And then when what's in the passage, well, then you can use it to debunk some of the Acts 28 brethren that think that this Romans belongs to the Jews and not to the body of Christ. And when we get in it, um, I'll try and point some things out, but I'm not going to on purpose do it, all right? Uh, you, if you understand, when we studied the Gospels on Wednesday night, we did it in Luke, we did it in John, we came across some passages in both Gospels. We're in Matthew now. And I try to say, hey, some people will use this, the Calvinists will use this and that. And before you know it, now you're talking about the Calvinists, what they believe rather than what the passage. If you just teach the passage, you'll debunk all that other mess, Okay. Um, I've all, it's often interesting when you find people who come in and twist and do things with passages, they have an, they have an agenda to accomplish and something that they're, a belief that they're trying to protect rather than being true and honest with the scriptures and what they say. Having said that, verse 3 and 4, 
concerning his son, Jesus Christ, our Lord, which was made of the seed of David according to the flesh, and declared to be the Son of God with power, according to the spirit of holiness, by the resurrection from the dead. Now, again, these passages here are, are very integral and, 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 and really very critical to the fundamentals of the edification process. We've talked about the gospel of God at the end of verse 1. And then we talked about the other gospels and so forth, and we, we saw all that. But what I want you to notice here is that the gospel begins with the issue of, being, of resurrection from the dead. The gospel hinges on that issue of resurrection. The gospel, so you can still hear it, goofy thing, I'll take a shotgun to it. You might not, but I can. So anyway, the gospel revolves around the issue of the resurrection from the dead. You and I, we don't believe in a dead God. We believed in a resurrection God. It's interesting, you know, you, get, you talk about Buddha and Hinduism and all the other religions out there, and all of their leaders are dead. It is what it is. See, ours isn't. See, our faith starts at the empty tomb. That's where it rests, is that when he said, I'm not going to be here, I'm going to rise in three days, and guess what he did? He did it, okay? So when we talk here about what, Dave, what Paul is going to begin to use, notice verse 3, concerning his son, Jesus Christ our Lord, which was made of the seed of David according to the what? The flesh. So there's going to be some things here about the seed of David. Verse 4, and declared to be the Son of God with power. There's going to be some things here about that issue of power. According to the spirit of holiness, by the resurrection from the dead. So from the very outset, God is the one who's revealing, communicating some wonderful news about his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. And it's going to focus in on this issue about resurrection. But notice in verse 3, Paul starts by talking about the Lord Jesus Christ. Can you guys hear me okay? I, got, I, got, I heard the volume go down, but I just make sure you can hear me. I can get louder if needed. <clears throat> no. <laughs> uh, you got to love first of the year, you know. So in the context, verse 3, in the context of the gospel of God, it's concerning his son, who is the seed of David according to the flesh. Now again, this is where people will begin to say, see, Paul is talking only to a Jewish audience because he's bringing up the seed of David and he's bringing up some things. But if you look at verse 5, what does verse 5 say? By whom we have received grace and apostleship for obedience to the faith among the Jews. Among who? All, now we'll talk about that. See how you just, one verse, two verses later, you just kind of kick that in the teeth? You really do. It's just, you keep, but see, they don't do that. They go do a Greek jumble around now and have Greek jambalaya on the table, and they do all this stupid stuff. And it's like, wait a minute. <laughs> that, that, anyway, we'll get into verse 5 next time. So Paul here, he's going to take us back to David. But you know, in Romans 4, Paul bring, takes us back to who? Abraham. And David again, by the way. So when you begin to look at this, and you begin to kind of study this stuff out, 
What is Paul doing? What's Romans 16, 25? Look over there, last chapter. What's he doing? Last chapter of Romans, our edification process, the, 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 the three steps in it. The middle step is the preaching of Jesus Christ, verse 25 there. Now to him that is of power to establish you according to my gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ according to the revelation of the mystery which was kept secret since the world began but now is made manifest. What's Paul doing? He's preaching Jesus Christ according to the revelation of the mystery. So when he goes back, back here in chapter 1 to the seed of David, he's not violating any scripture because he, he's very careful with it. Because it's the seed of David according to the flesh. And when he begins to talk about the flesh, when he goes back to the Old Testament, to the prophetic program, he's doing it to establish some stuff that impacts you and I. Because he's going to look at David here and the Lord Jesus Christ as the seed of David according to the flesh. Now, 2 Corinthians 5, we saw it last time, we don't know Christ after the flesh, do we? So the flesh here has to do with something really kind of wonderful, if you will. Because what he's talking about is the, that the Lord Jesus Christ is the physical, biological, genetic descendant of David. That when you took the DNA from the Lord Jesus Christ and you took the DNA from David, guess what they're going to do? Match. That's what he's talking about. He's not talking about anything that the Lord preached in his earthly ministry. He's not talking about any of the promises out there. He's, he's talking about the fact that there is a link between David and the Lord Jesus Christ genetically. Matthew 1, we have the genealogy of the Lord, don't we? Okay, First place in your scripture where the term... Jesus Christ, the name shows up as Matthew 1, verse 1. Doesn't show up anywhere else until Matthew 1, verse 1. Okay? The book of the genealogy. Now I gotta, <coughs> you said it, now I gotta look at it. The book of the generation of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. And it's very interesting. But in Luke, in Matthew 1, we have Joseph that it's the link through. But the problem with Joseph is, is he's not the Lord's father, is he? Biologically, we're talking about. By the way, in Joseph's genealogy back through David, he, he, Joseph has been declared not eligible to be to sit on the throne of David. Joseph, we're talking about. So Joseph can't be the father, the daddy, of the Lord Jesus Christ. But then you go over to Luke 3, and who do you have? Now you got Mary's genealogy, the seed of the woman, the virgin birth. By the way, in her genealogy, it doesn't run the same as Joseph. It runs through Nathan, the other one of David's boys. And he is eligible to sit on the throne of David. So the seed of Mary is eligible to do what? Sit on the throne. We just... We just had Christmas and all that wonderful stuff. Hey, folks, there's a lot more going on there than a little baby in a manger. People just get distracted by all the commercialism. So when Paul looks here, back in chapter 1, when Paul talks about the seed of David, it's according to the flesh. 
the literal, physical, genetic, biological connection between David and the Lord Jesus Christ. The Lord Jesus Christ is a descendant of David. Now, why is that important here? Why is Paul bringing this in? Verse 4. Look at verse 4. And declared to be the Son of God with power, how? By the resurrection from the dead. You see, folks, we have to recognize that when Paul talks about the seed of David, that he's talking about that there is a connection between the seed of David and the Lord Jesus Christ and the issue of being raised from the dead, resurrection. They are connected. Okay? Come over to 2 Timothy chapter 2. And this is key because, again, what's going to happen to you and I one day? We are going to be what? Resurrected. Are we not? Please say yes. <laughs> Actually, you know everybody's going to be resurrected? The saved and the lost? And we'll talk about that here in just a minute, okay? Get ahead of my notes. I can't do that. <laughs> Look at 2 Timothy 2, starting verse 7. Consider what I say, and the Lord give thee understanding in all things. Isn't that fascinating? Boy, Paul, you, you consider what I say. The Lord gives you understanding in how many things? Prophetic stuff, mysteries, truths. You've got to have Paul to get it all. You got that? Now, by, by the way, just hold on. A, flip over to 2 Peter 3. Yeah. Get it all. I can rhyme. Put a dime, put a dime in, get a rhyme. I got them written down down here, by the way. Ladies and gentlemen, skinny and stout, I'll tell you a story I know nothing about, you know. <laughs> hey, I, okay. <laughs> yeah. What'd you say? Second Peter chapter 3. Man, keep this, keep this organized this morning. Second Peter chapter 3. At the end here, look at verse 15. An account that the long-suffering of our Lord is salvation, even as our beloved brother Paul, also according to the wisdom given unto him, hath written unto you, as also in all his epistles, now watch, speaking in them of these things in which are some things hard to be understood, which they that are unlearned and unstable rest, as they do also the other scriptures under their own destruction. You see how that thing Peter says are hard to be understood? Peter can't give you the understanding. Peter says, I'm deficient. You need to have who? You've got to have Paul's epistles too. You've got to have it all. And Paul sums that up. Now, now, that's just, go back to 2 Timothy 2. That's just something. Paul says, I'll give you understanding in everything. Peter says, I can't give you understanding in everything. <laughs> it's hard. I don't have it all. Paul's got it all. Now, 2 Timothy 2, 5, 2 8. Remember that Jesus Christ of the seed of David. Notice there's no by the flesh in this. See that? But what was it? Was raised from the dead according to my gospel. At the beginning of our edification process, Romans 1, the seed of David is mentioned in connection with being what? Raised from the dead. At the end, 2 Timothy is the last book he writes, at the end of our trip through the epistles, 
not the end of our edification because it continues, what's brought up again? The seed of David as in connected to being what? Raised from the dead. So the issue here, when you come back to Romans 1, at the beginning and at the end, Paul says, we got the seed of David, the Lord Jesus Christ over here, and there's a, there's a connection with that issue of resurrection from the dead. We have three seed lines in the Bible. You have the seed of the woman in Genesis 3, don't you? What did the Lord say about that seed of the woman? What was it going to do to Satan? Defeat him, destroy him. So the seed of the woman focuses in on defeating the adversary, Satan. Then you have the seed of Abraham. That's going, and by the way, all three of these seeds are in the book of Romans. Where do we find out about Abraham in the connection to you and I? Romans 4. And in Romans 4, what did Abraham find out concerning the flesh? Did he no good, did it? It's a faith issue, not a self-indulgent issue. So the seed of Abraham is going to focus in on defeating the flesh. The seed of David, we see it right here, that's going to focus in on defeating death because it's connected with resurrecting resurrection from the dead. You've got, you follow what's going on here? So when Paul brings up the seed of David and he highlights the biological link between David and the Lord Jesus Christ and this connection with the resurrection of the dead, he's doing it for a very specific reason. Come over with me, back with me to Acts chapter 13. <clears throat> Folks, we have to remember Resurrection doctrine is not exclusive to the body of Christ. It is something that's been talked about and promised by the Lord Jesus Christ since, Ab since Adam, since the very beginning. Okay, Acts 13, the Apostle Paul, we were here, I think, last time, a couple times. Well, we're going to be back in here again. Acts 13, Paul is making the connection here with David and the resurrection. Verse 33, God hath fulfilled the same unto us, their children, in that he hath raised up Jesus again, as it is also written in the second psalm. Notice where Paul went. Back to Psalms 2. By the way, who wrote Psalms 2? David. We're going to go there in just a minute. Thou art my son, this day have I begotten thee. As concerning that he raised him up from the dead. So what day did God the Father begotten God the Son? What day? Resurrection day. Okay? So on the resurrection day, he said what? You're my boy. You're my son. You're the one. You are the Son of God right there. There you are. Why? When he got up and walked out the tomb. He's, it's empty. Now... Verse 34, no more to return to corruption. He said on this wise, I will give you the sure mercy of David. How can he give them, and by the way, this is what the sure mercies of David are. <laughs> How can he do that? Because God has been teaching the need and the hope of resurrection. 
Hold on to something in Acts. Go back with me to Psalms chapter 2. Psalms chapter 2. You see, folks, when, they, when Paul brings up the stuff in Romans, he's drawing a connection to us and what? Resurrection. Because <laughs> what do we need? We need resurrection. Psalms chapter 2. Here's a psalm of David. <clears throat> chapter 2. Verse 7 and 8, here's the, verse 7 is the quote. I will declare the decree, the Lord has said unto me, Thou art my son, this day have I begotten thee. Ask of me, and I shall give thee the heathen for thine inheritance, and the uttermost parts of the earth for thy possession. When was the decree made? Resurrection day. The decree, you are my son, was made when? when he rose from the grave. Come over to Psalm 16. Paul's going to quote this psalm here in a minute in Acts 13. We'll see it. Psalm 16. We'll start in verse number 8. But since you're in Psalms, we'll look at it and have it in your mind. Psalm 16 and verse 8. I have set the Lord always before me, because he is at my right hand. I shall not be moved. Therefore, my heart is glad, and my glory rejoiceth. My flesh also shall rest in, what? Hope. Why? Why is this flesh going to rest in hope? For thou wilt not leave my soul in hell. <clears throat> well, that would indicate what's he going to do? Resurrection. Neither wilt thou suffer thine holy one to see corruption. Thou wilt show me the path of life. So we're going to move from death to what? Life. In thy presence is fullness of joy. At thy right hand there are pleasures forevermore. Fascinating. Resurrection. Now, let's read this passage again. But let's read the I. You see where he says there in verse 8, I... Let's make the I David. And let's read this as David. I, David, I have set the Lord always, where? Before me. Because he is at my, David, right hand. I, David, shall not be moved. Hey, as the king, where should the Lord be? Before him and on his right hand. David says, that's where he is. For, now, for thou will not leave, What? My soul. Whose soul? David. See that? Who's the writer of this, by the way? David is. See, David can say this. The Lord can say this. The Father can say this. Keep reading. Verse 11. Thou wilt show me the path of what? What's the, what's the Lord going to show David? Resurrection. Do you, you see that? You see, now, why did David write this this way? Well, come back to Acts 2. Come back to Acts 2. Why does David say this? By the way, we didn't read verse 9. Therefore my heart is glad and my glory rejoiceth. My flesh also shall rest in hope. Why? You're going to resurrect me. David is looking at the Father. He's looking at the Son saying, I believe in resurrection just like Job did over there. Job says, one day I'm going to see my Savior in the flesh right here on earth. I know what's going to happen. I'm going to be what? Resurrected. Acts chapter 2. Very fascinating when you get back and kind of 
hook these things together a little bit. If not for you, it is for me. So you just sit there and bear it. You can leave. There's the door. But you can just figure this out. It's wonderful stuff, folks. Paul is not wasting words and filling up space when he brings up the seed of David and the issue of resurrection because you and I are going to be where? In Christ. And who is he? He is the seed of David. But there's been something promised to David that then moves to the Lord Jesus Christ, and it's the issue of resurrection. Acts 2, you there? Verse 22. Ye men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, the man approved of God among you by miracles and wonders and signs which God did by him in the midst of you, as ye yourselves also know. Verse 24. Whom God hath raised up, uh, look at that, having loosed the pains of death, there's resurrection, because it was not possible that he should be holden of it. Isn't that interesting? Verse, oh, verse 25, for David speaketh concerning him. Here's Psalm 16. We just read it. I told you to read it as David was saying it. But why did David write what he wrote? Because who was he really talking about? Wasn't talking about himself. He was talking about who? The Lord Jesus Christ. Look at verse 25. I foresaw the Lord always before my face, for he was on my right hand, that I should not be removed. Therefore did my heart rejoice, and my tongue was glad. Moreover, also my flesh shall rest in hope, because thou wilt not leave my soul in hell. What did David think? David took the application of the promise of resurrection and applied it to himself. But he also is applying it to who? The Lord Jesus Christ, because what he's, he's continued to say, neither wilt thou suffer thy holy one to see corruption. You're not going to leave me in the grave. You're going to resurrect me one day, but he's not even going to see corruption. You follow what's going on here? I hope so. Keep reading. <clears throat> thou hast made known to me the ways of life. Thou shalt make me full of joy with my countenance. Men and brethren, let me, Acts 2.29, Men and brethren, let me speak freely unto you of the patriarch David, that he is both dead and buried, and his sepulcher is with us unto this day. Notice what Peter just did. David isn't the focus of the resurrection here. He's with us. We can go down to the skull orchard down there, and we can find his epitaph, and we can lay something on there, and we can say, there sits David, and if we dig him up, we're going to have his bones to look at, whatever's left of them, and that's David right there. Therefore, verse 30, being a, what? David was a prophet. By the way, David is one of the only men that held all three offices of priest, king, and prophet that the Lord didn't kill for messing with the priest office. He let David have it. The Lord Jesus Christ did it as well. Acts 2 Verse 30, therefore being a prophet and knowing that God has sworn with him, with an oath to him. Isn't that interesting? God made a promise. God swore an oath that of the fruit of his loins, would that not be the seed of David according to the flesh? What's he going to do with that seed line according to the flesh? Oh, there it is. <laughs> he would raise up Christ isn't that interesting? Peter says, listen, you know what? You know why David wrote Psalm 16 the way he did it? 
because he understood the issue that, that God himself swore an oath that he was going to raise up the seed line, the seed down there. But he's my seed. You see, folks, Paul, there's no problem with Paul telling us that the beginning of our gospel begins with the issue of resurrection. Everything has to do with a promise that God swore to himself. That he was going to reach over here and raise up the Lord Jesus Christ, who, by the way, is the seed of David according to the flesh. Now, the end of verse 30 is Peter's understanding of what the resurrection meant. The prophetic program. What does the resurrection mean in the prophetic program? He's going to raise up Christ to do what? To sit on a throne. It's interesting. Come back to Acts 13. Watch Paul's understanding of what the resurrection means. <clears throat> Acts 13. Because Paul got a little bit of what? Further revelation, didn't he? More, he got more revelation, a progressive revelation here about what Calvary meant. You guys have heard me for years say, Paul is telling you what the cross means. What did, it, what did resurrection mean to Peter? That he was now the seed of David and he was designed to sit where? On the throne. Watch Paul, Acts 13, uh, verse 35. Verse 34. And as concerning that he raised him up from the dead, now no more to return to corruption. Talking about, again, the Lord, resurrection. He said on this wise, I will give you the sure mercies of David. Wherefore he also saith in another psalm, here's Psalm 16, Thou shalt not suffer thine holy one to see corruption. For David, after he had served his own generation by the will of God, fell on sleep and was laid unto his father and saw corruption. Do you see something similar between Paul and Peter's message there? It's almost identical, isn't it? That's fascinating. Why? Because they both understand that the promise of resurrection has to do with the Lord Jesus Christ and who he is. Who is he? He's of the seed of David. He's in a lineage because God gave David a promise over here of resurrection. Just like he gave Abraham a promise of resurrection. They're there. The two main covenants in Israel's history, the Abrahamic covenant and the Davidic covenant, they're both and by the way, the new covenant, the third one, all three of them have, a, have an underlining promise of resurrection. Keep reading. Verse 36, For David, after he had served, he fell on sleep, was laid, on, and, and saw corruption. But he whom God raised again saw no corruption. But, I'm sorry, be it known unto you, therefore... So because we understand what? The seed of David, according to the flesh, came, he died, the Lord Jesus Christ, came, he died, he was buried, he rose again the third day. He saw no corruption. That guy, that's who we're talking about here. That through this man, that guy, the guy we're talking about, is preached unto you that he would sit on a throne and rule and reign forever. What did Paul say? No, that's not what Paul said, is it? Through him would be the what? The forgiveness of sins. Isn't that interesting? And by him all that believe are justified from all things 
from which he could not be justified by the law of Moses. You see, Peter said he was raised to sit on a throne. Paul says, no, there's more to it than that, buddy. He was, he was, he was raised to, for the forgiveness of sins. He was raised for some, something complete. He, he was raised for something a little deeper than sitting on the throne. Now, Paul says that. Peter could not say it. He didn't say it. He couldn't have said it because it wasn't part of his program. Now, come back to Romans 1 where we're at. Romans 1, verse 3. Concerning his son, Jesus Christ our Lord, which was made of the seed of David according to the flesh. Paul brings in the, the issue of the seed of David according to the flesh. The Lord Jesus Christ is a descendant of David. That is where resurrection has been tied to. He was raised. He saw no corruption. And everything moving forward now, folks, is going to hinge on the issue of resurrection. Why do you think he spends, 1 Corinthians 15, 50-something verses dealing with the issue of resurrection? One of the longest chapters Paul writes, and it answers the question about resurrection. Because if you don't believe in it, folks, we might as well close shop and go home and go fishing. Well, you go fishing, I'm going to go hunting. Okay. Now, verse 4. And... So not only is he the seed of David according to the flesh and declared to be the Son of God with power. Declared. God validated something there in the declaration. What did he de declare? Thou art my son. This day I have declared it. The day of resurrection, what, you're my son. God validated something there. But he's the son of God with what? Wow, with power. According to the spirit of holiness, by the resurrection from the dead. Notice it's with power. It's not by power. Okay? That's critical here. Because what the critics do is they slip in the by and leave out the with. That's not with and by are completely opposite ends of the spectrum with each other. Jesus Christ, as the Son of God, possesses power. He possesses authority. So what Paul is doing here is he's saying, listen guys, there's something deeper than just that physical descendant connection to David. Because now Jesus Christ possesses the right, the ability, the authority to go do some, some things because he of his resurrection. You follow this? Jesus Christ now has the power to raise other people from the dead. And I know instantly who comes to mind is Lazarus. We're not talking about Lazarus. This is Paul talking here. So he's talking about who? Us. The church, the body of Christ. Now, did the Lord raise Lazarus? Yes. By the way, when, he, when Lazarus came out, we, and when we studied John, we did a, I tried to do a comparison between Lazarus' resurrection and the Lord's resurrection. 
Lazarus came hopping out. Hop, 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 hop. The Lord said, loose him. Got to get in there and get the cutters and cut him loose. You know, when the Lord showed up, he, he left the grave clothes where they lay. He just came out. Lazarus, the, the, his sister says, Lord, don't get him up. Man, he's going to stink. The Lord didn't stink. But the Lord now has power to do what? Raise other people. The Lord has power to conquer death once for all. The Lord has power to justify sinners. The Lord has the power now to sanctify believers. And the Lord has the power now to glorify those believers. We're going to look at all of those because they're going to be right here in the book of Romans. All of this hinges on the, the, the doctrine of resurrection. Not just any resurrection. Again, there's Lazarus, then there's going to be some other. It's his resurrection. The Father gave him some power here. And that's what Paul is alluding to. Come over to 1 Corinthians 15. I said the passage. Just look over there at it. The fact that Jesus Christ was physically raised... There is no doubt. You can go into a court of law and through the evidentiary procedures prove that his resurrection did happen. Acts chapter number 1, he tells them over there, he's going to talk to them with many infallible proofs. He demonstrates that. 1 Corinthians 15 here, starting verse 3, For I delivered unto you first of all that which I also received, how that Christ died for our sins, according to the Scriptures and that he was buried, and that he rose again the third day, according to the Scriptures, and that he was seen of Cephas, then of the twelve, and after that he was seen of above five hundred brethren, at once of whom the greater part remain unto the present, but some are fallen asleep. After that he was seen of James, then of all the apostles, and last of all he was seen of me also as one born out of due time. And we spent time looking at that issue of, of Paul there. By the way, seen of five hundred. Then he pulls out James the Lord's brother. Do you know that the Lord's relatives did not believe that he was the Messiah for a long time? So you got a doubter in the brother James. You have another doubter. Doubting who? Thomas. So the doubters believed that he was what? Resurrected. The unbelievers believed he was what? Resurrected. Boy, those Roman soldiers... They roll that wheel in front, put the stamp on those two guards. They got to go report that he's gone. They kind of hem and hawed about it. They didn't just run up, but they knew that he was what? Gone. Then you got Paul, the arch enemy of the Lord, saying what? He's resurrected. He was raised. See, no, no problems there. Now drop down to verse 20. <clears throat> because here's the first one of that on that list there about raising other people. But now is Christ risen from the dead and become the first fruits of them that sleep. Christ's resurrection, he, Paul says that he, he only has immortality. You and I have the promise of immortality, but he has it what right now is a present possession. Verse 21, for since by man came death, by man came also the resurrection of the dead. The Lord Jesus Christ possesses the power, the right, to raise others from the dead. 
For as in Adam all die, even so in Christ shall all be made alive. Isn't that interesting? Every human from Adam is going to face and experience a bodily resurrection, saved or unsaved. Folks, listen, no one goes to hell as a victim of death. You know why people go to hell? <clears throat> because it's the just execution of God's perfect righteousness. That's why. You pick the, you pick the passage. You pick the, the, the time on the timeline. God's justice demands perfect righteousness, and when you don't have it, you're going to hell. That's where you're going. That's why people go to hell. They don't go to hell because they died. By the way, in Revelation, we have a little thing, event that's going to happen called the Great White Throne. Who, who is presented at the Great White Throne? Do you remember? Death and hell. All the unsaved people are going to have a what? A resurrection. That's why when he moves them after that judgment to the lake of fire, it's called the second death. Hell is the soul, the death of the soul. The grave is the body, death and hell. Death Here's the body, hell, here's the soul. And then that lake of fire, the second death, there's, this, there's the whole kit and caboodle. Ain't going to get out of that one. It's a spiritual thing. You follow that? So when he starts here, hey, all in Adam do what? They die. So the resurrection here, he's got the power, he's got the ability to raise all, doesn't he? He's got the ability to raise everyone from the dead. You, you, you get, I hope you get that. The second one, he has the power to conquer death once for all. Well, look down at verse 25, 1 Corinthians. For he must reign till he hath put all enemies under his feet. The last enemy that shall be destroyed is death. Isn't that interesting? He's going to deal with death. That's why people going to hell, they're not doing it as a victim of dying. Everybody dies. He's conquered death, verse 55. Drop down to verse 55. O death, where is thy sting? O grave, where is thy victory? The sting of death is sin, and the strength of sin is the loss. But thanks be to God, which giveth us the victory. What victory? The victory over what? Death. That's the context. I know we use that verse in different ways, but in the context, that victory is over what? Death. Don't got to worry about it. Why? We're in him, and what are we going to get in him? Resurrection of life. Going to be made alive. Come over to Hebrews chapter 2. He, he defeats death. Hebrews chapter 2. Hebrews chapter 2, verse 12. So the resurrection issue that Paul brings up in the very beginning of the book of Romans, I mean, he's just introducing things. It is so critical to catch that he makes that linkage between the Lord Jesus Christ, the seed of David, that biological 
descendant of David because David got the promise of what? Resurrection. Because of that, now because we're going to be in him and we got some things coming our way of that, guess what we get? The same promise, resurrection. Hebrews 2 verse 12 the writer here to the Hebrews, saying, I will declare thy name unto my brethren in the midst of the church. By the way, which church would that be? The little flock church, the believing remnant church, the tribulation church, not a, you and I. When Hebrews comes into fulfillment, you and I are going to be dancing in the heavens, having a big welcome home party. Okay? He says, in the midst of the church, I will, will I sing praise unto thee, and again I will put my trust in him. And again, behold, I and the children which God hath given me, for as much then as the children are partakers of flesh and blood, he also himself likewise took part of the same. Why? Why did he do that? That, intention, purpose. That, through death, he might destroy him that had the power of death. That is, who? The devil. What has he got? He's got the power to do that, doesn't he? Because of resurrection. Come over to Revelation chapter 1. Keep reading. Revelation chapter 1. Revelation chapter 1, verse 18. I am he that liveth and was dead. And behold, I am alive forevermore. Amen. And have the keys, power, authority. Revelation 1, 18. The keys of what? Death and hell. Hell and death. Again, hell, the soul issues. Go over there and you look down in that shaft, Isaiah 66, they're going to see a maggot pile of men's souls down there. Where the worm dieth not and the fire is not quenched. Oh, happy day. <laughs> Woohoo! Oh, man, we're going to party in hell like there's 1988. I'm like, 1988? <laughs> Woohoo! Go right ahead, man. Knock yourself out. It ain't going to happen. If you've ever seen a decaying body with maggots, rot, you know, animal body and stuff, and all, it's like that's just not going to be a happy time. Hell, the soul, death, the body. What happens to your old body when it hits that grave? Well, if they pump it full of enough juices, you might be petrified for a long time, but usually it decays away ultimately, doesn't it? You see the crime stories or you read the books and stuff when they find dead bodies and homes and, you know, things that they don't. Hey, that stuff down south, Tucson area down there where that mountain lions were eating the dead bodies, they didn't even know they were there. You know, they had to go kill the mountain lions because they're not scavengers, they're hunters. And they were worried that because they got the taste of human flesh, they would not leave humans alone. <laughs> well, yeah, that's a good thing, so... But you see the death and hell. Who's got the power? He does. He's conquered death once for all. Come back to Romans 4, number next, number 3. Jesus Christ has the power, because of the resurrection, he has the power to justify sinners. Romans 4, verse 24 and 25. You knew where I was going, didn't you? <laughs> Romans 4, 24. But for us also, to whom it shall be imputed, if we believe on him that raised up Jesus our Lord from the dead, who was delivered for our offenses and was raised again for our 
justification. He was delivered for the sinner. He was raised to justify. Because of the power. By the way, when he says they're raised again for justification, the resurrection says the sin debt has been paid in full. It's paid off. No more to, to, to be collected on. But what's the criteria in verse 24? What do you got to do? You got to believe on him whom, you got to believe on him, don't you? Come over to Colossians chapter 2. Colossians chapter 2, verse 12. Colossians 2, verse 12. Colossians 2, 12. Buried with him in baptism, wherein also ye are risen with him through the faith of the operation of God who, raised, who hath raised him from the dead, and you being dead in your sins and un, un, the uncircumcision of your flesh. Two times dead. You're dead twice there. Dead in your sins and dead in being un, an uncircumcised Jew or Gentile Jew. <laughs> Gentile. You are in trouble. Hath he quickened together with him, having forgiven you all trespasses what did he do he justified you but it's because he we were what risen with him come back over to Romans chapter 6 Romans chapter 6 you see folks because of the resurrection the Lord has the power to not only justify the sinner but he also has the power to sanctify them the believer Romans 6 we see this issue of our identity but it is connected with the issue of resurrection. Romans 6, verse, verse 1. What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? God forbid. How shall we that are dead to sin live any longer therein? Know ye not that so many of us as were baptized into Jesus Christ were baptized into his death? The issue of identification here. Therefore... We are buried with him by baptism into death. We hung with him on Calvary. We were buried with him in the tomb. That like as Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also, isn't that fascinating, should walk in newness of life. His resurrection identity is given to you and I. Verse 10. For in that he died, he died into sin once, but in that he liveth, he liveth unto God. How does he live? Resurrect, raised. Now watch verse 11. Likewise, so you see the connection between what happened with the son and the father. Likewise, reckon ye also yourselves to be dead indeed unto sin, but alive unto God through Jesus Christ our Lord. He lives, we're in him, so what? We live. Folks, that's power. That's authority. Chapter 7 of Romans. Verse 4. Wherefore, my brethren, ye also are become dead to the law by the body of Christ that you should be married to another, even to him who is raised from the dead, that we should bring forth fruit unto God. Look at that. We're dead to the law, but we've been raised 
You see, resurrection impacts your life. It impacts your identity, but then it also impacts your daily routine. You see, resurrection has to do with the quality of life, the impact, the effect of it, the type of life we're to live. Are you going to go struggle under the, under the performance system of the law where you would never succeed? You will always be guilty. Or are you going to come over here in the identity and the fact that you have this wonderful newness of life to go live on? See, that's a, those are two types of lives to live. You're free to live in either type. Moses told the Jews, I lay before you death and life. Please choose life. <laughs> now that's a little R.J. ad lib there. Paul's doing the same thing. You want to go live in sin and all that squalor over there? Go knock yourself out. That's not who you are. This is who you are. It's a type of life. Folks, resurrection life that has been extended to us, and what Paul's getting at here and in Philippians and in other places, because of time we won't go run them, he's like, man, you need to choose the right life to live. Live some resurrection life. Which then brings us to the last point in that little list I gave you, and that's the issue about bring. he has the power to ultimately glorify the believers. You're in 7, look in Romans 8. <clears throat> Romans 8. In verse 29, you see, folks, all, <laughs> the reason Paul brings up the seed of David according to the flesh and was raised and brings in that issue of resurrection is because everything we are about hinges, circles around, hangs on the issue of resurrection. That's why when those knuckleheads in first Corinth, in the, at Corinth there were debating the issue, and the issue in 1 Corinthians 15 isn't the gospel in verse 3 and 4. The issue is that question about you don't believe in the resurrection of the dead. And the reason Paul unloads on them and then gives them all that information about the, new, the different body types and all that stuff is to prove the point that everything about what we're doing hinges on resurrection and the hope of life. Otherwise, as Paul said, we're most men miserable and we might as well just sell the buildings and Give Rick the profit. No? Okay. No. Sell the buildings and go do something else, right? I was just kidding. You guys got glum on me there for a minute. Look at Romans 8. Here's the issue of glory. Romans 8, verse 29. For whom he did foreknow, he also did predestinated, to be conformed to the image of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. He's the first one in a long line of people who are going to have what? Resurrection bodies, life. Verse 30, moreover, whom he did predestinate. By the way, the predestination in verse 29 isn't to the heavenly places. It's to be conformed to his son. Context of those words are critical. Because you get over in Ephesians 1 and he talks about being predestinated again there. And you know what? It's a, something a little different. Predestinate. Destiny predetermined. We have a determined destiny of being conformed to the image of his dear son. When does that happen? One, it happens now in life as you live the life of Christ and allow his life live out through you. But ultimately, it's in that day of redemption. 
in that resurrection over there. You can enjoy the resurrection life now in time, under, in the understanding of it, the awesomeness of it. Oh, awesome, there we go again, make up words. All of that wonderful power, exceeding power. But man, when it's ultimately realized in our experience is at the resurrection. Verse 30, moreover, whom he did predestinate, them he also called. And whom he called, them he also justified. And whom he justified, them he also, what? Glorified. We get down into Romans 8 in about a couple years. You're going to find, I'm going to hope to show you, you're still here, some of you. <laughs> All of you will still be here. You're gonna. I hope we go down through this passage where you can live like you are already in glory right now. And when the glums of life come up, you can just look at them as what they are, work through them, and keep moving with the sunny side always up. Because it's a, it's yours. Just in your reality, you haven't experienced it yet. Come over to Ephesians one. I gotta watch the clock. I let you guys out early last week. I was looking at the, I know, it's not an excuse, but you guys were talking and got me started late, so <laughs> just kidding. <laughs> excuses, excuses, exactly. Ephesians 1, look at verse 19 and 20 here, and we'll, we'll, we'll be done here. Verse 19, and what is the exceeding greatness of his power to usward? Who believe? Again, the, we're talking about believers here. According to the working of his mighty power which he wrought in Christ when he raised him from the dead. You want to see the power of the Godhead? Look at resurrection. Because not only did he raise him up, he stayed raised. By the way, Lazarus dies again. Just to let you know, okay? He didn't stay alive forever. He did. And, but not only raise him from the dead, but do what in that verse? And set him at his own right hand in heavenly places, far above. All principalities and powers and mights and dominions and every name that's named, not only in this world, but also in that which is to come. And hath put all things under his feet and gave him to be head over all things to the church, which is his body. Notice the fullness of him that filleth all in all. You know what he did? The Father glorified the Son. We're in the Son. What did he do to you and I? He glorified us as well. The exceeding greatness of his power that worked in the Lord Jesus Christ, is working in us also. That's fantastic. Go back to Romans 1. Paul starts talking about the gospel of God concerning his son and the gospel information that's coming our way. He's going to get specific, calling it the gospel of Christ. And he starts talking about it, and he starts with issue number one. And you know what it is? Resurrection. And the fact that you need to understand that he received his grace and apostleship by not a dead God, but a risen God. And you and I are, are in him, and he's in us, and he's got the power to get it all done. Now, we'll hit number five next time, okay? And then we'll keep moving. But I want you to see, don't get hooked up into this stuff. Well, he's talking about the seed of David. You know what? Turn that nonsense off. First of all, don't even listen to it. Somebody, we, we were, where were we? Where was I? That was in November. Me and John and Dad were talking about some stuff that's going on. And I told John, I said, man, it's good to be on the West Coast. 
You don't hear about any of that garbage. Because all the garbage going on was east of the Mississippi. And I said, they can have it. Because we don't need that. <laughs> we're, we're good over here, you know. And it's just sometimes you just stop. What's going on? Here it is. Here's what the deal. Okay? All right. I, spent, spent a, I, I yield back the rest of my time. Okay. Dearly Father, we thank you for the morning, Lord. We thank you for your word, for the facts here of the issues of resurrection, for the importance of it and as we move forward and as we study. We'll just see that exceeding power and the greatness of your power. And as we sit in awe of it, we'll understand that that was given to us as well. We'll give you the praise and the glory. In your name we pray. Amen. All right. We'll see.